One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. It's my screen time too. And welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming, from Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen, find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids, Jay, he's five, and Kenny, he's two. And I have three kids, Tony is 11, and Libby and Nate are eight. Today, we are joined by Julia of the Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous podcast. Every week on Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, Julia talks to friends about a different pop culture property, how it influenced them, and what they love or hate about it. The show is so warm and witty, we're really excited to have Julia with us to discuss today's topic, the new Netflix movie, The Mitchells vs. The Machines. Welcome, Julia. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So tell us, do you have kids? What are their ages? Give us the rundown. I have one child, which is perfect for me, and he (laughs) is um, 16. He'll be 17 this year. So this week's topic for you guys really hit home (laughs) because we're going into senior year. I bet. Wow. Okay. This it's always exciting when we have a range of age groups. So I think this is Mm going to be really fun. Yeah. So we like to tell a quick story about how awesome or sometimes awful our kids are, because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. I had a story I was going to tell you all about how my kids, after months and months of coaching and practice, they've finally been able to make their lunches unassisted in the morning before school. But then this morning... I dropped my oldest off at school, came back to take my twins to their other school and like lunch boxes were on the counter with like a piece of bread in one and like a yogurt tube in the other. And that was it. I was like, ah, (laughs) so I thought we had hit a milestone, but then we took a few steps back. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that pretty much how we sum up parenting anyway? Like you think you're there, but you're never really there. (laughs) (laughs) You get the one good moment where you think exactly like this is it it's gonna work and then no <laughs> yeah I should have taken a picture of those lunches that they made that one time <laughs> <laughs> just to play on their high school graduation photo montage yes. yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well I have two favorite kinds of stories that we share every week and I get to share both of them today which makes me really happy. One of them is the humorous misuse of language type of stories which like Kenny being too is a prime time for these. He's very interested in the smoke detector in his room right now. We talk about it a lot and he calls it the smoke detective and I just love it the most. That's That's adorable. But the other one, Deborah, is a full circle moment when you have told a story about something your kids did in the past on the podcast, and now my kids are old enough to do it. So the other day, Jay told me he knew what the S word was. And when I asked him, he said stupid. And I was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, did your heart stop a little bit? Like, concerned? (laughs) Well, I mean, I was mentally, yes, preparing myself to have the conversation. But when he said stupid, I was like, yes, this is that moment. I love it. Yes. Was he like, yeah. stupid? Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I love that. So how about you, Julia? Any good stories? Yes. So the other day, I so I prepare my son when I come home from work if I've had a bad work day, just so that way he de- he knows it's not him, it's me. And so the other day I said, hey, I've had a really stressful day at work. Um, I just, I really just, it was hard. And it's a 20 minute commute. I come home, he's started cooking dinner. He turned on the aromatherapy. He like had already taken the dog out for her evening walk. Cause I, it was a really long day unexpectedly. He like leveled up so hard and it was just like, thank you so much because I was expecting garbage on the counter and the dog being ready to go out and, you know, having to figure out dinner myself and all that stuff. And it was just so nice to come in. And I thought, oh my gosh, what 16 year old does that? That's so amazing. Can we do this more often? (laughs) What a great antidote to the teenagers are garbage that we get sold. We get fed all the time. Everyone's like, wait till they're teenagers. You must be a really good mom, Julia. I think you should take some credit for that. Oh, thank you. It's easy when there's one because there's literally no other influence. It's just, you know, he's not, he's not, he doesn't have any co-conspirators to make my life difficult. (laughs) That's a good point. So let's move on to screen time in the news. This week we read an LA Times article from May 7th by Deborah Netburn titled, Video Games Came Between Me and My Son in the Pandemic they bring us back together. And this article is how all about how Netburn, who's a LA Times reporter, and her 12-year-old son bonded over video games after she went into deep exploration of whether or not the video games were okay for him because he got really into Minecraft, Roblox, all kinds of social video games because that was his outlet during the pandemic. And she was worried that video games are bad for your kids, but several different experts told her that it was okay behavior as long as he wasn't exhibiting signs of a problem like sneaking video game time, being unable to stop or having like violent mood swings when he was done playing. So then um, this really resonated with me. She went for walks with him and she, this is a direct quote, sometimes I let him keep talking while my mind wandered. Other times I asked if we could change the subject. And I have this problem with my kids, like, I don't want to talk about Minecraft. They don't want to listen to Minecraft talk. And I do ask them to change the subject. But then she found a really bonding moment when she asked him about his favorite Roblox games. And then they played Undertale together, I think. And he really loved having her as a video game playmate. So this was a very relatable article to me because I think my 11-year-old is pretty close to this 12-year-old in that video games are like the one joy in his life and I worry about it pretty much all the time. (laughs) (laughs) What did you two think about it? Julia, is your 16-year-old into video games? Oh my gosh, yes. He spent um, last year building his own computer because the one that we had purchased prefab wasn't, you know, powerful enough. Oh, wow. I really appreciated this article because um, we do a lot of, we are just a gaming family. You know, we have play games after dinner and all that, all that fun stuff that goes with that. And so when the professor from CSU San Marcos commented on, it's just an extension of, you know, potentially gaming as a family, there's an evolution there. Mm-hmm. It, it re- that hit because I thought, yeah, well, you know, we do that. We, we love playing Super Mario as a family. I'm the super Nintendo generation, not the Nintendo original. 
And when he really got into video games, naturally it was like, oh my gosh, what do we do? How is this going to affect him? All these things. But then I started, like this mom did, talking to him about it. And one of the things that kind of changed my mind about video games completely, I had was eavesdropping, if you will, one day when he was playing with his friends on a Saturday afternoon, and they're literally coming up with this strategy on how they can like conquer this level. And it was so complex that I thought I wasn't thinking like that at 14. There's no way I was thinking of strategies that deep at 14. And Mm -hmm. so it changed my perspective on um, those sort of those. It's not a first person shooter game that he was playing, which is typically the age group, my, you know, the age appropriate, not age appropriate. They're not age appropriate ever, but you know what I mean? Like that's kind of what the teenagers like to play. They're just trying to figure out how they can conquer this level. And it made me realize like, you know, while I was playing on playing roller skating and doing all the fun stuff on the outside, the level of complexity in this, how are we going to conquer this level just blew my mind. And I was like, all right, okay, this isn't the end of the world but we need boundaries. (laughs) Right. The whole like, just because it's different, it's not bad thing is a hard lesson to learn. And I feel like it's one I'm learning constantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think talking, I think her point about talking to the kids really makes it, makes a big difference for them because they want, or at least for, in my experience, he wants to know that I'm interested in what he's interested in. And by saying, let's tell me about this new game. (laughs) Tell me why you want $60 for me for this new game kind of stuff. And, and just when she talked about how he sort of lighted up and was very excited to share with her to play those games, it just made me so happy for them because it is a lot of fun. Um, Like I said, we play Mario together. He's surpassed me. He's better than I am now, which is really frustrating (laughs) because I have like all these years on you playing Mario and now you're better than me and I'm annoyed. So, but it's a great bonding moment because we're like, oh, you know, creating all these um, adventures, if you will, that we wouldn't normally be able to do in, in real life. And it just, I felt like it strengthened our bond. Would I ever play Minecraft with them? No. Do I need that game to stop existing? 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm over it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Last night, instead of reading a book together before bed, Jay wanted me to read to him from a Minecraft magazine. (laughs) That's not fun. It was bad. I'm like, at least it's literacy skills. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Sorry to digress here, but I remember... Uh, book fair one year they had a whole section dedicated to minecraft books and I was like how do I navigate you away (laughs) from that section I do not want to spend my hard-earned money on things that we're just gonna donate in a month like let's build our library yeah (laughs) but his internal radar is just so attuned to minecraft that that's the first thing he saw when he walked in yeah (laughs) and then two years later no joke it was like oh you can you can donate those to the library and I'm thinking I don't think the library wants these honey (laughs) (laughs) it was a good article but also to me terrifying because I am not a video game person Julia I can follow you follow you right up through like the traditional board games I love playing games with my kids I love puzzles and stuff like that but video games just they stress me out on a personal level. It's not that I think they're bad. I just find them incredibly unpleasant to play. So if this is how I'm going to have to interact with my sons moving forward, I don't know, guys. I might just have to give up now. You might need to find something like, what's that one with the animals in the island? Animal Crossing? 
That's oh, like a yeah. like a gentle game. It's not like combat. It's not really even. I think it is competitive, but you like gather fruits and stuff. Right. Yeah, but I could be stressed out by like Sim okay. City. <laughs> like, I don't. <laughs> Oh my gosh, SimCity, that's a good one. (laughs) Casually teaching us all to code, it's fine. (laughs) Well, let's follow up from our last episode just really briefly. Katie and I wondered after a discussion two weeks ago whether or not TiVo still exists, and it does. And it's unclear from their website what they have to offer over and above my cable DVR plus smart TV setup. But listeners, it's still available. Yeah, I went to the homepage and it was like lots of set top boxes, but like zero information. So I left again pretty quickly. I wonder how their numbers are doing. So can I just add my parents still have TiVo? Really? Oh, do they use it? (laughs) All the time. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Does it give them magical show suggestions? Oh, that's a good question. I don't actually know. I'll find out, though. Yeah, follow <laughs> up with us. We're really curious. Because they don't do live TV. Well, they, well, he still, my dad still has an antenna okay. to get like, local <laughs> channels, so the TiVo helps with that. Yeah, that makes sense. Because if you don't have a DVR from your cable company, right. Gotcha. All right. On to the more important business of the day. Today, we are discussing Netflix's new movie, The Mitchells vs. the Machines, which debuted on April 30th. And it was developed by Sony to be released in theaters. But thanks to COVID, the rights to air were sold to Netflix. As we've said before, there are very few things we have to be grateful for because of the pandemic, but being able to watch real movies at home on our TVs right away is pretty awesome. The movie was written and directed by Mike Rianda and Jeff Rowe, who are writers for Gravity Falls, which is supposed to be this great show, but I've never seen it. Have you guys seen it? Uh, yeah. I could tell by your face, Julia. It's a hit? <laughs> it's so good. It's funny. It's got, you know how there's always like cartoons like to try and embed stuff for adults but it's probably not appropriate for kids Mm -hmm. they don't do that they have these funny jokes that are funny and it ages well in the sense of you could watch it at 10 and then watch it at 30 and still find things about it that's hilarious I love that and having watched this movie and kind of feeling like I have a sense of their sensibilities I can see how that would be the case on their show as well Mm -hmm. so in addition to these writers we also have the producing team of Phil Lord and Chris Miller who did things like the Lego movie and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which were big hits. So this made us excited for this one as well. Let me try a quick summary without giving too many spoilers. Aspiring filmmaker Katie butts heads with her practical Luddite dad, Rick, feels blandly nurtured, if not supported, by her mom, Linda, and has a special bond with her dinosaur-loving younger brother, Aaron, and their ludicrous-looking dog, Manchi. This quirky, somewhat dysfunctional family is thrust into the role of saviors of humanity when a robot uprising disrupts their cross-country road trip to drop Katie off at college. We've got some serious heavy-hitting voice talent that includes Danny McBride as Rick, Maya Rudolph as Linda, Abby Jacobson as Katie, Olivia Colman as the AI taking over the world, Fred Armisen as one of her robots, and Eric Andre as the AI's inventor, Mark. We picked it because we'd heard uniformly great things about it, especially as regards LGBTQ and non-neurotypical representation. 
We knew it was the team that had produced Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which we reviewed on a Pink Wine podcast a few years ago. Oh, Deborah, remember when we used to be able to do Pink Wine podcasts? Julia, that was when we didn't record in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we could do a Pink Wine podcast, but we'd be wrecked for the day. Right. (laughs) Is there some kind of like rosé breakfast drink equivalent to a mimosa? There must be, right? I feel like the younger millennials were on this, right? (laughs) Yeah. Have you done like the champagne with some sort of pink juice? There's all different versions depending on where you go and it's as a pink lemonade person strawberry lemonade i'm here for it oh yeah that sounds like a perfect combo okay a little side diversion there (laughs) and also guys sometimes we don't stop to think about how rare an actually original movie is these days it's not a reboot or an adaptation and as much as we love those here at it's my screen time too this felt really fresh and something to be celebrated so we wanted to cover it for sure So let's talk about our general thoughts. First of all, on concept and plot, did we like it? I thought it was great. I did too. I really enjoyed it a lot. And it hit hit hard because that idea of like your child leaving to go to college and I'm going to be completely honest. I cried a little bit because I was like, that's my life. Yeah. That's happening soon. And just the tears, you know. (laughs) So The plot was kind of a mashup of archetypes. There were um, the unlikely saviors of humanity, like the classic hero's journey, learning to appreciate your family or yourself for who they are, dangers of technology, road trip gone wrong. Katie, you have like a bunch of movie examples of like, I love the Little Miss Sunshine (laughs) example. So what did we think about the like when I started watching the movie I thought it was going to be a straightforward tale but like there's a lot in the two hours of the Mitchells versus the machines I love that they took really old ideas like you just listed there that we've seen done so many different times and repackaged them together and in different ways than we've seen before in a way that felt so fresh I agree I was a little weary when it first started because I thought okay there's a you know, there's a way that this could completely be a fail if they don't do it right. And now that I know that that the team that's involved with Gravity Falls is involved in this film, it makes sense on why it was so successful because they have they do a really good job at marrying all different t- types of concepts together to be to tell one big overall story that pulls at your heart a little bit at the end. They're so good at doing that. So I encourage you to watch Gravity Falls. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely. It's run is over now, right? So we could watch the whole thing. Yeah, we actually had hosted a party when it was ending because we were like, this is a huge thing. But but the way that they tell a story, I think, is kind of universal in the sense that it doesn't matter what your background is. You're going to find something within one of those concepts that really speaks to you. I love that. It's that kind of throwing everything together in a way that means that everyone will have something to latch on to, but it somehow doesn't feel like just a, a mixture like they, of a bunch of disparate stuff. Exactly. They didn't throw the spaghetti at the wall and hope for the best. They were very strategic about um, the execution of this film. And I think they did. A, I think they were successful in that, especially considering some of the reviews that have come out since people loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was spaghetti art on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. 
We like to talk a lot when we're reviewing shows about how representation matters. And this was a tale where it was a real normalization of an LGBTQ character. Um, Katie's sexual orientation is mentioned like just at the very end of the movie and it's not a big deal and it is very offhand um normal enough it wasn't even highlighted in the like body of the movie what did you guys think about Katie's character and her orientation and how it was treated in the movie I I also love to discuss representation and in um film and tv and I really did appreciate how the whole time it's not the main point of the movie mm-hmm. because I feel, I think that, and I'm not, I'm an, I'm an ally. I'm not in the community. In my opinion, what I've seen in television is that there's all of these story. It's all about coming out. It's all about, you know, the trauma that it, that is experienced in the LGBT community. And there really isn't the opportunity with few exceptions within the last few years. I think that that's changing, but in children's movies and TV, we don't really see that concept of like, Hey, this is just somebody, you know, we're all not the same, but we're all, we're all experiencing similar emotions and feelings. And then, Oh, by the way, she's not straight or, you know, completely hetero. So I really appreciate that it wasn't at the forefront of the film because you, for people who might be hesitant about that type of theme, you fall in love with Katie. And then at the end, you're like, oh, okay, so cool. She's got a girlfriend. Good for her. Get it, girl. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I just, it was refreshing to give somebody a coming of age story in a way that wasn't about a traumatic coming out or a traumatic experience for being gay or, you know, trauma centered. Right, because coming out is a part of your life, but what about the rest of your life? It doesn't just stop at the coming out story. Exactly. I love, too, that it seemed like Katie had really done some work on herself. Like, a lot of the early part was about how she was really lonely as a kid because she had this singular interest in filmmaking, and most people didn't understand her, with the exception of her little brother. But then there was this little blip where she said... My parents can't really figure me out, but it took me a while to figure me out, too. And they had like a little montage of her just like doing goofy things, wearing different outfits. And just that part, it it was such a nice encapsulation of her character and how she came to be where she is today. Like she has done the work to figure herself out and she knows who she is. And I just found that to be kind of a wonderful side note. Mm hmm. Yeah, I agree. I loved that montage because the scene where you, when you see her shoes and she's written all over her shoes, I was like, yep, I was that girl. <laughs> like, get it, girl. Dye your hair purple next. And then we're one and the same. Oh, <laughs> this is more about animation, which we'll get to. But did you notice how her nails were like markered on? Yes, I loved that. <laughs> I didn't notice that, but I love it now. That was a very like emo slash alternative detail that I appreciate. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) In her characterization. So let's talk about the cast and characters. Anybody that you particularly loved or hated in terms of voice cast? I love that Maya Rudolph was the mom. I just love her and anything that she does. I have yet to see anything that she's not good in. And it's nice to see her in a motherly role because she is a mom of four kids, I want to say. Yeah. So to see, yeah. So to see her in a motherly role was kind of refreshing because I don't think we've seen that before. And she did a great job. She had that feel of like 
I love my children. Oh, it's getting awkward. So let's change the subject real quick. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't want to spoil the ending, but there is a scene where she goes totally aggro. And I loved that. Like, Mm -hmm. I totally identified with that as a mother who, like, if anything's going to happen to your kids, you're just like raging. (laughs) (laughs) Even if it's totally out of character. Yeah. So don't activate about, mama bear. Yeah. <laughs> how about the dad, Danny McBride, Eastbound and Down? This Katie, you, you wrote this, but I 100% agree that this is the only Danny McBride property I've ever enjoyed. Normally I can't stand him. Yeah, hate him. And I probably don't hate him as a person, so sorry. But his like brand of wounded panicked masculinity is just not mm-hmm. I don't find it funny. I just find it frustrating and I don't understand why everybody's always talking about how funny he is. He so my first exposure to Danny McBride was Pineapple Express, which if you've seen that movie, don't watch it with your children. <laughs> it's not. It's the Seth Rogen, James Franco partnership from their early aughts, I want to say. Anyway. So he's, you know, to me, he's always kind of that bumbling dummy who's sort of like runs with the potheads. And so mm-hmm. um, like you, like both of you, it was refreshing to see him in something that wasn't raunchy is not the right word, but that's the only word that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe because this is a property more aimed at like families and children that didn't have to come up. He did play like the mm-hmm. bumbling technophobic dad really well and like he called youtube yub tub which <laughs> i also identified with and loved <laughs> the only problem i had with the casting was that the little brother is like a child and has a incongruously deep voice for what his age is supposed to be and that just really grated on me yeah i looked it up i think he's voiced by the creator so I'll give him a pass if, like, he wants to voice a character in his own movie. That's awesome. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> I guess I didn't notice his voice being deep because he didn't have a ton of lines in comparison to the other characters. You want to talk about dinosaurs? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a really great introduction to the little brother, the quote that you just said, because it gives you a really good setup for everything else for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the animated reality quote-unquote combined with katie's filmmaking flourishes make for a really unique viewing experience it for the for listeners who haven't seen it it's like an animated movie but then you see katie's thought bubbles in like lisa frank sort of rainbows and unicorns, and it's just like one style of animation upon another and katie you're pointing out on the doc that zoomers this is a thing that's ascribed to them like always adding layers to avoid past assumption that's a really interesting concept that i haven't really come across what did you two think about the look and the animation as an old while watching it (laughs) that is what i thought i was like oh this is something of like the new hip generation how they love their memes and their like filter overlays on everything and then I read this review article and I'm gonna apologize up front that I don't remember where it came from maybe The Verge I'm not sure that was saying that the aesthetic of Katie's filmmaking touches was actually very much of 10 years ago and that just made me feel like a dinosaur so here I was watching this whole movie thinking oh look how they're including the youths 
but no that's funny I loved it I I so I actually I don't know if I would have been able to handle it in a bigger in like an actual theater because there's so much coming at you and I think it would have been like um a little bit of a visual overload for me so watching it on Netflix was perfect because it helped me appreciate that this is her storytelling style because you know that's incorporating when you watch all of her little short films that are on the YouTubes, um, you see that element to her films, and then it I I I felt it was part of the necessary vehicle to help tell the you know the concept of like they're trying to overcome and have this sort of hero journey like it felt very necessary to me for it to have all those elements for that to be successful I just thought that the animation overall was really stunning even just talking about the look and feel of everything without Katie's overlay on it like you could tell it was to me it looked drawn which I enjoy over CGI computer generated animation more I don't know I would love to see more from this making team again back to Gravity Falls now that I know that the team involved with Gravity Falls is involved in this I can see a lot of similar elements to it I think that in this one there's more detail that like the nail polish that you mentioned Deborah, and and little things like that that I think really add to humanizing an animated feature because you know animated features don't typically have it's it's a cartoon so the ability to relate isn't the same as if you're watching humans you know give their emotions on screen but those tiny little details are so smart because it brings us closer to being like related relating to the characters Mm -hmm. I think that's such a great point Um, when you talk about distinct visual looks of certain filmmakers or certain film production companies and that level of remove that you can have with animated features where because it doesn't actually resemble your lived life you find it harder to connect I feel like Pixar has given us a really good example of like how we can connect emotionally and feel our sads when we're watching animated movies but this was one of the few examples I can think of where I felt genuine intense like almost thriller like emotions at certain moments because that is also difficult when you're watching an animated film because you're aware that it's not reality but like when Katie was taking the station wagon up that like magnetized road and it was like will she fall will she not fall will she flip backwards it was it was genuinely intense which is really something that's hard to Mm -hmm. achieve in animation I might never look at a Furby in the same way. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I was like, oh, yes, bring all the Furbies in. That was definitely an era of time where, you know, you could not buy a Furby, but everybody wanted a Furby. And and then when, not to give too much away, but when the big Furby showed up, I was like, "Mm -mm, no, I'm now uncomfortable. (laughs) I try really hard not to talk during movies because... It really annoys my husband, but when that big Furby came out, I was like, how did they even get it in the mall? It doesn't (laughs) fit through the doors. (laughs) Absolutely. And then, and then I don't know about you, but then I'm like, did they ever really make a Furby that size? So now, you know, I'm like dying to know if that's a real thing or if they just did it for the movie, because it seems really creepy to me to have one that size. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So what did you think about the music? Is it that movies now have synthesizer influenced by Stranger Things? Or did they always have synthesizer 
And now I just feel like anytime I hear synthesizer, I hear straight the Stranger Things soundtrack. Real chicken or the egg are there. Yeah. Because I heard that 80s synthesizer Stranger Things at several different points in the movie and couldn't stop comparing it. I, you know, I didn't actually register it as being synthesizer-y. So now I'm gonna have to go back and watch it again to see if I can pick up on that. But I did kind of like, you know, the, I, I did like the song choices for all of the different montages that they did. I thought they established the tone well with the type of music that they chose. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting that you say that it was synthesizer-y because when I was watching and I thought, gosh, there's a lot of feel to this movie that makes me feel like it's not a current movie in the sense of it's not taking place now, even though it is taking place now because of all the tech that they talk about. Mm-hmm. There's a nostalgia feel to it. And and the music really plays a huge part in that. And and that's really that's a really interesting technique because then that taps into the older the older generation who did experience the 80s and 90s to feel like tapping into their positive and healthy childhood memories that they felt so (laughs) great when they were kids. (laughs) They really thought about all the demos they were seeking. Yeah. Uh, The song that they do their like father-daughter dance to has been stuck in my head for the past week. And I should be able to tell you what the song is. I could sing it for you poorly, but I will not. But I will just tell you, like, be prepared to be humming that in the kitchen for days after you watch the movie. I did really love that they had that moment. And they had so my son's grandfather is a musician. So his entire childhood was spent in a music studio and then coming home with like a CD with a handmade cover art for the CD. So when that that moment happened, I was like, look at you guys. You didn't even know that was my life, but that was my life. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, they're good. They're like pulling in the 80s nostalgia. They're pulling in this like 90s and early aughts nostalgia. They're apparently pulling in this like 2010s filmmaking aesthetic nostalgia that I didn't know was old. Yeah. And like we said before, they did it really, really well. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like they're pandering to all these different age groups. It feels organic. And I Mm -hmm. guess that's when I don't mind being pandered to. (laughs) Right. Right. All right. So now we like to do what we call our evergreen questions, where we talk a little bit about what TV show or movie made for grownups this property makes us think of. Julia, did you have any thoughts while you were watching it? Oh, this really reminds me of this thing that I would never watch with my kids. Yes, I actually had two, two like I thought it was a marriage between two films and it Terminator 2 and We Are the Millers. Oh, yeah, that with a road trip movie. They're going across country. This movie made me think a lot about Terminator. And I think there was this nice distinction Like, Terminator is very, oh, what hath we wrought? We had no idea. But then this one is very self-aware about the problems that technology could potentially bring to our lives. I think at one moment, Mark, the creator of the evil AI, actually says something like, oh, it's like intentionally harvesting people's data without their knowledge for years was a bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I thought of the because I was trying hard to think of a movie about a film young filmmakers. So I thought about Super Eight. JJ yes. Abrams directed that movie like ten years ago. Mm-hmm. It started Al Fanning. And I think the kids in there, I think they're up against like an alien life form, not like a robot life form. But I like reading books about writers. And I also like watching movies about 
filmmakers. There's something kind of meta about it. Yeah, I think writers love writing books about writers and filmmakers love (laughs) making films about filmmakers. (laughs) Nothing like making yourself the hero. (laughs) Right, right. I was really taken with the unlikely crew saves humanity. So it made me think of a comedy horror favorite of mine, Shaun of the Dead. Oh, yeah. Yes! And then just that scene where they are in their station wagon and it's sort of all apocalypsy around them. They're the only car driving and they're like off to save humanity also made me think of another. I don't know if you call this a horror classic because it's fairly newish. But 28 Days Later, did mm, you guys see that I one? Seen that. I haven't seen it. I do love it when people get it confused with 28 Days. Oh, That's yeah. my favorite. <laughs> now, that would be quite the mashup. <laughs> right? <laughs> Sandra Bullock as a drug-addicted zombie. <laughs> so, did we do any casting of the gritty HBO reboot of this movie? Julia, why don't you go ahead? I love this question. Um, and so I, I was like, they kind of already did it themselves because Danny McBride, Maya Rudolph, Abby Jacobson, like yeah. they have, um, you know, a resume of doing things where you're just like, this isn't appropriate for children. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it when that happens that like the voice cast is just good enough that you're like, no, I would love to see these people do this. I also could not improve upon Maya Rudolph for the mom, but I feel like if there were a gritty HBO reboot of this, I would love to see John Cho. He's like our favorite actor, Julia, (laughs) play the out-of-touch dad. And then did you watch Mayor of Easttown? I feel like the young woman who plays Siobhan would be a great Katie. Yes. Um, and, and then for the little brother, I would like to see an actual kid in that role. So I would pick to John Watts, who was the skateboarder turned hockey player. We just reviewed Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Oh, he was yeah. in that. But there's no better Maya Rudolph than Maya Rudolph. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about you, Katie? I think I bring this show and this particular pairing of actors up a lot on the podcast. And it's funny because no one else ever watched the show. But for a hot minute in the early 2000s, there was this show that starred Eddie Izzard and Minnie Driver as a married couple. Yes! It was called The Riches, and in my opinion, at least back then, I haven't done a rewatch, it was really good, and I loved their dynamic. They were grifters, so it, w- it was very serial comic, and mm-hmm. I can see those two bringing something good to this pairing of Linda and Rick. That's a great casting because The Riches was fabulous. I am so glad that you are the only other human I know that's watched this show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We hunkered down. We didn't even DVR it. We hunkered down every week to watch a new episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think it was better when we were kids? And by it, I mean the general movie TV landscape. Did we have stuff like this? I think the closest we had to somebody not feeling understood by their family was like my so-called life Mm. I watched that show so hard when (laughs) I was uh, an adolescent and I would have loved to watch something like this because I you know like when you're like no matter what you're like as a teenager you feel misunderstood by your family I think and so I think Katie's character is really universal in that way and I don't think that We had something that was as fun of a movie as this is to portray that sort of adolescent, I got to get out of here feeling. Right. What do you think, Julia? 
Yeah, I agree with Deborah because when I'm thinking all of those like transition between college and, and high school movies, it's things like Can't Hardly Wait or My So-Called Life is one where she's solidly in high school, you know, Freaks and Geeks where you're kind of an outcast. And but there's a level of seriousness. I mean, not with Can't Hardly Wait. That's not a serious movie. But there's like a level of seriousness with being an outcast when you think of like the 90s, 80s mm-hmm. movies and and there wasn't a whole lot of like fun to the to those storylines because it's so sad like what is so-called life is just so dramatic it's good yeah but, but very it's so, heavy it's very heavy and this is they're dealing you know they're dealing with the heavy stuff in in Mitchell's versus machines but it's digestible in a way where you don't really feel bogged down by by a lot of the concepts Mm-hmm. Agreed. We didn't approach any of these issues with half the sense of fun that this movie has. Things mm-hmm. were very earnest. Yeah. Is it because we didn't have memes? <laughs> memes just lighten everything up. They really maybe, <laughs> maybe. I I have to tell you, I did not expect to be a pool of tears by the end of the film. You know, like that was completely unexpected because I'm having so much fun watching their adventure and then they just on a dime flip and and it's this very great connection that's happening and it's hard to say about it without ruining it for people who haven't seen it. Um, But, you know, you just, for me, I was like, pool of tears was not expected (laughs) because I had so much fun watching the whole thing. Would you ever watch this alone voluntarily? I might, but my kids loved it. So this is one that we can definitely watch again together and everybody will enjoy it. Julia, how about you? I probably wouldn't have had it not been for you all. But now I'm thinking it would be a fun one to kind of put pop on in the background while I'm cleaning the house. If only to get that song stuck in your head. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or like when my niece comes over, it would be something I think she could actually, she's seven. So I think she could actually sit through it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. My twins are eight. So they just get a kick out of the dog. Yes. And all of his antics. <laughs> the phrase dog pig, dog pig, dog pig, loaf of bread has been tossed around my house all week. And I'm not sick of it yet. <laughs> so funny. That that little added bit was so funny. So that same seven-year-old has a dog that looks like that. <gasps> oh, you have to show this movie to her. Yes. And so, you know, we do this whole thing about like whenever her mom sends me voice memos I can hear the dog breathing in the background (laughs) (laughs) so this is a nice segue into 10 seconds on whether this is good for our kids Julia what do you think good for our kids I do I don't know I would say maybe like six and up would actually start to understand what's going on and I think under six would just really appreciate all of the stuff flying at them on the screen (laughs) Mm -hmm. There were laughs for everyone. I watched this with two other adults, my five-year-old, a four-year-old, and my two-year-old. And Mm. the only thing I would say is there were some pretty intense moments uh, for the two-year-old. But everyone had things to laugh at, for sure. Yeah, I think it's good for kids a little bit on the scary side for the younger Mm-hmm. younger kids but as soon as you bring it back to dog pig dog pig dog pig loaf of bread it's all okay <laughs> and they strategically place those moments perfectly too because it would sort of <laughs> cut the tension if you will yes 
so smart. And again, amazing that there was tension in this animated kids movie. Yeah. Are we ready to move on to ratings? Sure. Julia, what do you think? We do a scale of one to five. So I'm giving it a four because I was recently told I give everything uh, the highest rating and I need to stop doing that because <laughs> not everything can be perfect apparently I disagree so if, if I hadn't been told that I would have said a five but I'm gonna say four I like your reasoning that's pretty much as strict as our system is around here I'm gonna give it a five I've given a lot of things high ratings lately but I feel like it's just we've watched better stuff recently when we first started the podcast we would do a lot of things that we felt like would be bad on purpose and now I just feel like there's such an explosion of good stuff that we almost don't have time to intentionally re- review the crappy stuff. So it just means we end up giving a lot more five-star reviews, which I'm not that mad at. You're right. I guess a five for me too. I think too, the the bar is high, you know, especially once everything kind of, when, when the world shifted last year, it was like, oh, you need to level up because we aren't going to sit through anything that isn't going to be good. Right, mm-hmm. right. TV is everything right now. Yeah. <laughs> or it was last year. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Thank you again to Julia for joining us today. Julia, where can our listeners find you in the Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous podcast? We are on Instagram at Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous. And then also we should be wherever you listen to podcasts. If we're not, that's because I have tech issues. <laughs> <laughs> but we we Instagram and, and wherever you find your podcasts. Perfect. Well, listen to Julia's podcast. And please rate and review us and Julia on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. You can check out our website at myscreentime2.com. You can find us on all the social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can even email us at myscreentime2 at gmail.com. Send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children. And our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye. Bye.